Welcome back to the CMC Conversations. We have Terry Bandman with us, and we're going to talk about his his and their specific experience as missionaries. We'll try to talk about some of the struggles and successes and their experience being called to the mission field. Um, well, good to be here with you, Alex. This is uh, awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think like uh, many many folks within our conference would know who I am. I've been to our churches within the conference. Um, but uh, for those that don't know who I am, my name is Terry Banman, and uh, my wife is Rosie. And we have worked in Papua New Guinea for 23 years. And we've been a part of the Ethnos Mission organization for 25 years. So it's been a, a great journey. And it uh, gives you a little bit of a rundown as to, you know, for ourselves as to what we've been involved with. We um, worked right within a tribe, um, a remote place. Uh, there was uh, airplane access to come into that place, but it wasn't, there was no road access to come in um, until later on. They had actually constructed a, a road, but um, I won't get into all those details and we were able to get a vehicle in there and and then the road closed and then um, we had to always use the airplane again. So yeah, um, we lived in that tribe for 11 years um, and then we moved out in 2008 and then we uh, were support missionaries on a center um and we lived there for 12 years we were involved in yeah a number of different uh aspects to be able to help missionaries that you know just like us had been in a tribe and um and yeah so we tried to help and encourage others to be able to have longevity in their work as they were working in the in the tribes okay so you are in my mind i think of being in Papua New Guinea in a fly-in place, uh, as extreme as it gets when it comes to missionaries, <laughs> uh, like you, you really put yourself out there. Uh, if you want to leave, you have to wait a week till the next supply comes in. I, I'm not sure how often a flight comes in, but it's uh, that seems like a pretty extreme choice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? Um, I think a big part of what we uh, what we signed up to do was uh, like both Rosie and I. We thought, you know what? Um, if we are to minister to the people, we don't want to just go in there quickly, spend like a month or something, and then leave. Um, we we want to be able to be lifers in our ministry if we are called to do this, then let's, let's go in, uh, full bore and see what we can, how we can be involved. And, um, and then, uh, just trust the Lord to help us with some of the different things that might be difficult or, you know, hard to do. Um, I'm sure that the Lord's got it covered. So, you know, let's just, uh, go with it and see. And so, um, we had gone through, uh, so Rosie had gone to, um to bible college i also went to that same college and that's where we met and my heart's desire at even a young age was um i want to be involved with serving the lord and that might mean overseas but you know young age i i didn't know what that would look like right then um before i went to college so i didn't even know rosie at this time um, before I went to college, there was a mission representative that um, what he did is he came to a small group and he shared with us about um, how tribal people were in desperate need to hear the gospel and they're in desperate need for uh, people to be able to go over there um, that they could be like one guy in one of his books said, it's like they're message bearers, um, they're missionaries, but he changed the wording to message bearers. And I, I love that 
um, it kind of encapsulates a person that will proclaim or that he's got a message and, uh, and he's going to be proclaiming that message to these people. So that's kind of how it got started for me to be challenged in, in uh, a small group like that. Um, in my 17, 18, I'm not even sure what age, um, but anyway, got challenged at that time and then went off to Bible college, met Rosie. And so then both of us had a desire to be involved in missions, but not sure which way we should go. But because I had been challenged with a guy from, uh, from Ethnos, then I thought, well, yeah, we should continue going in that direction and, um, and to reach these remote people groups of the world. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. Uh, Where do we but, go from here, right? <laughs> interestingly, I remember uh, Missions Day at SBC, and one of the speakers came up, and he just shared about how desperately they needed people to go uh, to all these places, and it was how he shared it. Almost, it just made me feel guilty that I wasn't. Wasn't being called to that, mm. or, or at least I didn't feel a call to that. And so it, it makes me wonder how do you discern the difference between a convicting call that somebody shares that the Holy Spirit uses and a guilt that I don't think is necessarily the right motivation that we should have? Right. Yeah. So like for me anyway, I, I can speak on uh, like what, how it's happened with me. Um, so I was being discipled by another guy within our Steinbach CMC church. They were discipling me to grow in my walk with God. And then there was one time where the leader said, okay, what we're going to do is we've got a paper there's questions on this paper and we're going to go to the mall and we're going to talk with people. And this is going to be our time of witnessing to these people. Mm. Um, I mean, boy, I was scared like crazy. Um, but at the same time, I thought, boy, this is going to be good for me. And yet I don't know like how to approach people, like what's the best way. Um, I was working at that time, it was called Penner Foods, um, which is Sobeys now. And so obviously customer service, like being kind and, and talking with people, it was something that I was growing into already. And, um, and in that discipleship class, they were talking about, we're going to do this and this is the plan. You, you've got your questions. And, uh, and so it really empowered me to think, this is possible, you know, and I, I think a lot of people feel like it's not for me. I can't do that kind of thing, but they've never tried uh, until they've been pushed a little, little bit to, to know what it's like. And I think that's where it helped me to understand this isn't an impossibility. This is something that um, the Lord can grow me in. And, uh, and so uh, I didn't lead anybody to the Lord. I talked to a number of people in the mall and I could see some people genuinely wanted to know something about what we were talking about and others didn't. And, uh, and so I got to see two sides, you know, that you could have a bit of resistance and that, well, okay, now when this mission rep talks to us about people are needed overseas and it's uh, a tribal leader he he has a whole bunch of sticks and he puts out these sticks and he and each stick has a name and that's the name of the video um each stick has a name and so he names the people within his village but he's talking to a guy in like short-term missions and the guy's only there for two weeks and now this leader says, so are you going to be the one to tell all these people, now this pile of sticks, all these people, are you going to be the one to tell them how they can avoid going to the place of fire? 
And this guy is only there for two weeks. And then he's going to fly back to, to Canada, or I think it was Canada. Um, but there's this short-term mission group that went in to Papua New Guinea, went into the tribe, and then we're going to leave. So this guy was challenged. And that video challenged me in the sense of what am I going to do with my life? Um, tears were flowing down my face. And I was thinking that man wanted to hear the gospel, but that guy couldn't stay there to give them the gospel um, or give them the good news. So then who's going to do it? And I just felt like, I think because discipleship and a number of factors in my life, I was already being prepped. You know, the Lord was working in my heart and, and prepping me that, that, you know, don't look at anything as an impossibility. God can use anybody to be able to do this. And so that really challenged me. And that's kind of how it started. And I think it's like that for anybody, really. Um, you know, it's, it's like coming to grips with what can I offer? If you just say, here I am, Lord, you might not have any skills. I was a stock boy in a grocery store. I couldn't use that out in, out in the field somewhere. Um, so then I just thought, I'm, I'm pretty much useless. I, I have no idea how God's going to even use me. And, uh, but am I willing to sign up? Mm -hmm. Are you willing to go? anywhere at any time at any cost and that was so challenging to me that um i i said to the rep afterwards um you know what uh what do i need to do and he says uh you serious about it i said yeah like i i feel like i i need to sign up and how do i go about the process and uh and then we worked through all of that um and so yeah went out to the field with my wife and two children and, um, you know, and we just saw how God was taking care of us in all aspects, you know, um, and was there hard times, difficulties? Absolutely. But, you know, I'm just saying like for everybody, it could be different and where God is going to stir our hearts on something. And maybe it's not even stirring our hearts. Maybe it's like taking a step to know a little bit and, um, of what it's like. And then maybe that could be a seed planted for doing something more later on. Don't think of yourself as like that, that you're going to maybe be that person to go right into the tribe to do the translation work or to do literacy or uh, learning a language, first of all, and, and culture. Um, think of it as God might use you as a mechanic or as a nurse or as a, um, an IT guy, uh, you know, just, you could be, you could be in pretty much any trade that you might know about out here, you could be using over there. And if you don't have a trade like me, God can use you in some way or another too. And so, um, the big thing is being willing, you know, are you willing to go anywhere at any time at any cost? Now <laughs> that, that was something I had to work through and that was challenging. I was shaking in my boots when the, when we were at a missions conference and the, the uh, speaker, he was saying, I'm, I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want to, uh, I'm going to be praying, but I'm going to ask you a question. Are you willing to go anywhere at any time at any cost? And I, inside, I could not answer that. I, I was struggling to answer it with a yes. Um, I could answer it a different direct, different way and say, no, no, it's not me. And uh, anyway, I was, I was feeling very compelled to, I need to say yes. And I think everybody in the church needs to say yes. But I'm not seeing anybody move on my bench in the church. <laughs> nobody's moving. And I kind of opened my eyes and I looked to the other side. Nobody's moving. And I'm thinking, but I feel like I need to stand up. And I, it's, a, it's a question for, am I willing? We all need to be willing and then see what God has for us. And so that's kind of how it was for me. And I think pretty much anybody could, could be involved some way or another. And it's, 
Um, and it's like coming to that place of commitment, you know, saying I'm willing to follow you wholeheartedly. Right. So, yeah, that's really good. Uh, so you wouldn't say that there's any special spiritual gift that, uh, that qualifies you for mission work. Okay. So obviously there is different gifts. You have Ephesians four verse 11, which, uh, says some will be, um, apostles, others, prophets, uh, evangelists, and, and then, um, uh, some teachers, uh, you know, so you've got people who will be gifted specifically. I've wondered sometimes like, what is my strongest gift? Um, but not to get bogged down with the side of gifts really it comes down to, are you willing to use whatever God has given you? Are you willing to, to serve him wholeheartedly? And if you are willing, he's going to draw you in to, and direct you, um, Proverbs three, five, and six, right? Um, trust in the Lord, your God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all thy ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So that verse Proverbs three, five, and six has been, um, an amazing, uh, verse for, for both Rosie and I mm -hmm. in our marriage, in our direction, wherever we're going that, you know, we understand we're going to trust him and he's yeah. going to lead our paths to be obedient and willing to to follow the voice of god right the voice yeah. of our lord and yeah. i think sometimes uh, we get bogged down in the day-to-day -day concerns when when we aren't on the mission field i think it's almost easier to get bogged down by those concerns by the the frets of this world uh and not focus on that willingness and continually focus on, okay, what, what am I supposed to be doing today? What is, what does this moment have for an opportunity? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I look at Peter, you know, in scripture, like Peter's, you know, he's fishing and he's on the shoreline and, and Jesus says, follow me. Like yeah. I I've often looked at that as, as a young kid, I thought, wow, you know, he just, he just left everything, you know, and how in the world could he do that? Like, and yeah. he must have seen something in this man, Jesus Christ. He must have seen something that was so important that, that sometimes I think we are, maybe our eyes are clouded. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I would like to say that I followed God in all aspects of my life, but I haven't. You know, I've been disobedient and mm. um, I haven't trusted him with things. And so as I have, though, in certain regards, I'm I find that, wow, there's there's the blessings, the, you know, boy, he has given me joy in serving him. And and I think that like for Peter following Jesus was like that. And then when, you know, he's come to that place after he's denied him three times he's um he's thinking like man this must be really difficult and hard on him um to think boy you know it's obvious he denied him three times and then for jesus to ask him on the shore um do you love me do you love me and do you love me if you do feed my sheep and then feed my lambs so you know like I look at that and I think, well, what can I do? I can feed sheep. I can, you know, and I don't know, am I really gifted with teaching? Am I really gifted with evangelism? Um, it's not, I guess, up to me to just be willing. I meet someone, you know, in summer in the city, Steinbeck, right. and I talk to them. And all of a sudden I'm listening to the conversation and I'm trying to be proactive to to following what the Lord has for me in this moment. And as I'm talking, all of a sudden I realize the conversations turning a certain direction. And what am I going to do in that moment? It's, it's like split second. I have to make a choice. Am I going to say something that could 
take me further down this down this path of helping them to understand more about who God is, or do I talk about the weather or something else? Mm -hmm. You know, so um, I have to make that choice, and and it's like I think for all of us, it's like that, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I was just curious about your link to the CMC. I'm assuming that the Steinbach CMC has been your home church. Yeah. Okay. All my life. My parents went to the church. Yeah. So I've been a part of that church all my life. And so then we've got uh, great supporters, mm -hmm. um, a group of people, individuals that have supported us financially there too. You know, if somebody was concerned about, oh, I don't know if I could be a missionary. I, I, I mean, raising support, like, oh, that would just be so hard. You know what? <laughs> you got to think about who God is you, and his purpose for us as mankind. He wants us to share with other people about the good news. And so if there's, you know, other things that could cloud our perspective or our vision to be able to do that um be careful like god's way bigger than all of that you know um and so finances our church got behind us like financially um and then our conference too um got behind us and then there was the individuals and so yeah we've got a, a great support base that way yeah Oh, that's excellent. I, I think that money is God's least concern. If, if he yeah. needs you to have that, then it'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like getting our eyes off of ourselves, you know, like, uh, like, because it's so easy to think about what's going on with me. And I, I have to tell you, I have thought of what's it going to be like? How's it, how's it going to work out once we get on that side? And then, I, uh, I remember when I, I phoned our, uh, uh, one of the representatives on the field, I, I phoned from Canada to Papua New Guinea and talked to this guy. And, um, and then he had said to me, if you come with what you have right now of $2,000 uh, promised support, you will not be able to do a lot of extras. You will be able to live in a tribe and you will have to build a house. So you're going to need funds for that. And all of a sudden, my mind, my thoughts, like I was starting to become more clear as to like, whoa, there's a lot more things that I never thought of. You know, like when he says extras, like he talked about, if you're wanting to go on a break, so you work in the tribe for six months, thereabouts, and then the mission actually wants you to leave, come out of the tribe for about two weeks because they don't want you to get burned out. This yeah. is all new territory for you. You're learning a language. You're learning culture. You're, you're embracing things around you, and it's going to add a lot of stress to your life, and they want you to be able to come out and have a break. And he says, you won't be able to do special things with that amount of support. Oh, okay. But, but you said I can come to the field with that support? He says, yeah. And at that time, that's what it was. Now they've changed um, some perspectives, I think, on the U.S. side. And also uh, maybe in some other of our sending countries. Um, I don't know so much about Canada, but um, they a lot of... Uh, the sending countries are actually asking for 75% support uh, of your recommended support upfront before you actually get going overseas. Right. They don't want it to uh, missionary to have to go through all kinds of burdens um, of having too little. And um, we can trust the Lord to supply a little bit more to be able to help us yeah. build our house and do that kind of thing. Yeah. I was okay. wondering about your specific experience in PNG, and I was wondering if you had some things that you thought really worked well that you did as missionaries and things that didn't work so well, and maybe an explanation as why you think certain things worked and certain things didn't. 
Alex, I think on, on like our experience. Okay. So, um, I had to build a house. I'm not a builder. Um, I had to be involved with, uh, building an airstrip. I'm, I'm not an airstrip builder. <laughs> I don't know how many people would say they are, but, um, so, um, I got involved with learning a language and I'm not a linguist. Um, I, I helped with maybe some translation work or doing some lesson preparation and I'm not strong in that either. Um, yeah. And so there was a lot of struggles. Um, I was a, um, I was a young man with two children, my wife, we've gone overseas. My son at that time that we went was two years old and my daughter was, um, our middle child. Uh, she was six months old at the time and so many unknowns, eh? Like, and so then you're trusting God and then you're not sure, am I going to live in a dirt floor like house or, um, am I going to have a thatched roof or I have no idea, you know, you're going to the field with all these things that you're just not clear about. And, um, and then you start to see that, oh, you know, this is kind of how people live, missionaries live and the people in the tribe live and, uh, okay. And now you try to bring it to a happy medium. And so our experiences with all of these different things that we're involved with, uh, one time, for instance, huge, our house is built, right? And uh, we've got the eaves trough and then there's this downspout and it just comes off the edge. And we didn't know, you know, what's that that's going to look like when it rains and how hard it's going to rain and there was this huge downpour. Oh my word. Like inside our house, the corrugated uh, roofing tin that we had was the, the sound of the rain on the roof was so loud that we couldn't talk to each other, even if we would yell at, at each other. And uh, it was our opportunity to yell at each other, you know, and, and feel free to do it. Um, but yeah, we couldn't hear each other. It was so loud. And then outside our kids, you know, like that downspout water and would come flying over the edge and our kids were out there running around and, and playing in that and, uh, and just having a blast. And so there was the good things of good memories, something like that, going down to the water hole. Um, you know, that was a lot of fun. We, we did that a number of times, jumped into the real cold water. Um, so then there is things that you try to make um, pleasant in the midst of difficult things that you have to work with. The difficult thing was to learn language, I think, for me, was the mm -hmm. most difficult. So, yeah, there's uh, some of those those things. Um, you figure out how to function within your marriage, living in an isolation, living in isolation. Um, away from people that you're used to and and foods that you've been used to. What did you go to PNG to accomplish? What was the purpose of going to Papua New Guinea in the first place? Was it to plant a church? Was it to, like, I know the general idea is to make disciples, but did right. you have a more specific goal? Yeah. Okay. So uh, my wife and I, we went through language school in Missouri. And while we were there, um, they kind of uh, decipher where people are at. If you're going to be above average in learning language or you're going to be average or below average. Well, I was below a little bit below average. My wife was been just a bit above average. So, you know, but we knew that God was bigger than all of this. Um, if, if he had us go into a tribe, then... That's what we'll do. So we could be involved with support role, um, being there to be an encouragement to our missionaries or a help in some way. We could do that. Or we could sign up and say, we're going to go into a tribal place and learn a language and 
um, help out with doing the translation. We didn't know, are we good at translation or not? Uh, but from what we found out at language school is that maybe we weren't the best at it, but maybe we could still do it. And who knows uh, how the Lord would work that out. So our heart's desire was to go into a tribal area and to do church planting. But another side was that we wanted to go in already an existing work. It wasn't like we wanted to go into a brand new work and start a brand new one. We thought with our, with maybe more of our abilities and, um, and how we felt comfortable, like that it would be good for us to work along some other missionaries that had already been established in a tribe somewhere. And so we had this desire to see a church planted in a remote place and we will help somebody or, or work with somebody in the tribe um, to be able to do that with Ethnos Canada. And so then uh, you were helping some other missionaries plant a church or you're helping them sustain a planted church. Yeah. So there was this one missionary couple. They're looking for uh, another uh, teammates to be able to work alongside them. And uh, the way it works is that our mission would like to have three families work in a in a remote place together. And, um, and so we knew that there is this one missionary couple by themselves in the tribe. And, uh, and so it would be good to investigate and find out if we could work alongside them. And we would have to learn the language and the culture just like them. And we would uh, possibly be involved with translation or literacy or um, uh, doing lessons, lesson preparation, um, teaching, discipling, all of, all of that. Yeah. So we just figured, well, let's get in there and, um, build our house and get started with doing language and culture and, um, language and culture kind of goes right hand in hand. Um, it helps to know how they think and when you've never lived on that side of the world and in a remote place like that, uh, there's so much learning. I, I, it's like I became a child again and had to learn all over again of how to go about things. And it was quite um, humiliating at times. <laughs> and, uh, and yet at the same time, I built relationships with that, you know, in those times, you know, they started to see that, yeah, this isn't an easy task. And, uh, and so that was our main purpose, really. If I come back to that, yeah, that was to go in and do church planning. Okay. So what did you do that you saw success from? What did you do that you thought, wow, even if the church isn't growing in numbers, you're like, what we're doing now is increasing how committed people are to the body of Christ. And then what on the flip side, were there any things that you tried like, oh my goodness, that now is just a big flop like that. That kind of thing didn't work because the culture didn't jive with it or something. Okay. So let's say, uh, let's go to this uh, little story here about me working on the airstrip and uh, we're trying to build this airstrip. Now it needed to be crowned. So you need to have the middle uh, where it's higher and then coming down on, on the sides. And it needs to be 45 meters uh, wide and 600 meters long. On crowning, I needed to have a, a line going across from the top, from the middle to the side. And then we needed to dig a trench on the side and figure out how deep we're going to go. And... And so I dug a hole and I realized, wow, we're going to have to go two feet deep on this side in order to get it to go down that when there's heavy rainfalls that it's going to go down to the side and not stay in the middle. So then I told everybody and there could, I don't know how many people, but there is a lot of people. And I told them 
hey, everybody, this is how deep we need to go on the side here. And then we need to shave it down like from the middle and it has to go downwards uh, to the side. And they looked at me <laughs> and, they, and they were like, wow, that really is deep. Like, you know, even that two feet, like you don't have a tractor to, or backhoe yeah. or a bobcat to just come and do all that work. You've got to do it by hand. The next day, there weren't that many people out there, you know, and I thought, oops, uh, maybe I should have learned how to communicate better with them about, you know, do it in increments or something. And, uh, and it's easier for them to accept, but do something in a large picture like that. It's just uh, overwhelmed them. And anyways, that was one, one little experience of me doing something where uh, I realized I could have done better in, talking with them sometimes they looked at me as what what do you think we should do and I took it upon myself to think that I knew more but we had no expert in doing the airstrip so my information what I was getting was from other people that were within the mission on the aviation side what we needed to do so I had to relay that message with them. And so sometimes I would come across pretty strong in my, and my voice is, is strong anyway. And then, and then my eyes might be like, Hey, you know, uh, we got to do this guys. And then, um, and sometimes I think they might've felt like inferior or, Oh, you as the white man, you know, like you have, um, a lot of, uh, you, you're, you feel like you've got the only, um, insight to how to do this. There was things that I had to deal with and it was hard for me to communicate. Anyway, there was blunders like that, that I got involved with. And I was like, ah, oh, no, sorry guys. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to, sorry. Okay. The way that I was communicating, maybe didn't, you know, communicate very well. I want to be able to do this better and let's work uh, well together. So yeah, you just have to really humble yourself in those moments. You know, how in scripture, uh, Ephesians, it says, uh, pray that the eyes of their heart might be alight enlightened or something like, I, I can't remember the exact verse. And, um, but that was to me, I think when I saw their eyes understand truth and they came to grips to to come to know this loving god through jesus christ that his blood was shed for them and that it takes away the shedding of this man jesus christ the shedding of blood takes away the sins of the people who believe and when they believe it's like their eyes were open and you you look at them and they start saying something that you know and you wonder, you're, you're still wondering, right? Like in the back of your mind, is this guy really saved? But then they say comments like one guy, for instance, he said, what about my, my wife and my children? Or what about those, our, our leaders within our tribe? And I'm, I'm thinking, Usually when a person comes to know Christ as their savior, now they start to become concerned for family members and people around them. What's going to happen with them if they don't hear this good news? Yeah. And so um, that was to me really exciting. When you'd hear their testimonies and they would say, um, you know, when you guys were talking in the teaching, you're going through the lessons and you're teaching us. And then when you guys came to this one area, like for instance, the law, the, the 10 commandments of the old Testament. Okay. You come through that and we had 10 links and it was like paper links that were all linked together. And, and then there was a paper doll at the bottom and people are watching this. And they said to us, when we saw you guys do that presentation with the 10 links of chain, we felt 
like really um, convicted that before God, we were total sinners before him and that there was no way that we could make ourselves right with God. And I'm thinking yeah. right on, <laughs> but they were feeling it, you know, and I'm thinking, I want to remove that, that guilt and that uh, conviction. But at the same time, they needed to go through that. And as they went through that, um, you know, God's doing his work. And I tell you, there's a thrill about that. Like when you know, man, I was involved in all of this to see people to come to Christ. And mm. um, to me, I would say that's the most exciting thing that I've ever experienced. No, oh, wow. So you talk about having somebody's eyes actually opened to the, yeah. the spiritual reality of their life. Yeah. And that's, yeah. uh, that is really cool. And I think that that's the, the thing that gets dimmed the most over time as, mm. as we become too complacent as Christians, we stop caring uh, yeah. that other people don't know yeah. the people that we care about. Yeah. And you yeah. know, like, I think, I think we need to, I need, we need to be praying and say, God, help me to see people like you see them. You know, we're, we're going to feel more compelled. Maybe I should put it that way, that we're going to want to say something to these people because now we've been praying and say, God, prepare me, help me to see what these people are looking like and, and the fear and maybe the, uh, the loneliness and, the, and, and maybe I can't tap into all those things, but help me to see them. And then how you see them and how you want them so desperately to come into your family. Um, if it's with believers or if it's with unbelievers, you know, like I, I feel like we have a responsibility to be alert and, um, and willing to uh, tap into a conversation at a, a split second notice, you know, and, um, and sometimes it's going to be inconvenient for us. Like we're going to say, oh, I can't really get into this right now. And yet that's that moment and, it, and it's gone. And you wonder how many more moments will it take for, mm -hmm. for that person to hear about Jesus Christ um, yeah. and for those seeds to be planted. Yeah. And I think for this next question, I think I can piece together kind of what you would say, but how do you go into a situation like PNG and actually just preach the gospel without presenting your own culture? So we're wanting them to sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So we're willing to be obedient to teach and to preach. And, um, and we're wanting to make disciples, but we don't know who's going to respond and who's going to be obedient to responding to God. And um, so then all we are then as the message bearers, right. we are proclaiming and, uh, and we know the Holy Spirit's going to do his work. He says in scripture that his word will not come back empty. It's going to go out and it's going to do its work. And I, I love that because that's God's word. It's God's word that says that. It's not some person um, that just fly by night said a comment like that. It's God himself saying, my, my word is going to do its work. And it's not going to come back empty. So what do we do? We use God's word. And, you know, like for me, here I've got God's word and God's word is powerful and it can speak into your life and into my life. So I, I need to have a verse sometimes for encouraging someone or maybe helping someone to see that it's not through our good efforts. What verse comes to our mind when we talk about it's not through our good efforts? Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. And such a, a great passage that it talks about it's by faith. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, 
you can do all the works that you want, but that's not going to help you to get to heaven. Yeah. So we need to be using God's word. You know, our approach was to use God's word, but also in with using God's word, we wanted to teach foundationally from start to the end. And if we have laid proper foundations, we know people are going to understand who this man, Jesus Christ is, and that they're going to be well-grounded. There's not going to be a lot of confusion. They'll know how we've taught. And that in itself is we're discipling them how to teach. And as, as we go through this process, we had 68 lessons. You think, okay, how long will it take for 68 lessons? How many weeks do we have within a year? We've got 52 weeks. So that if we do one lesson a week, then it's going to take over a year to be able to get through from creation to the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. So we knew that we had to speed that process up and maybe even condense some lessons. And that was our approach. But it has to be God's word. And it has to be in their language. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. Some people feel like, hey, if you can, did you know that in Papua New Guinea, English is their national language? So English, we could speak English. So we could be speaking to everybody. But when you get into these remote places, man, their heart language is, is their own mother yeah. tongue language. And when you speak that, oh, it, it penetrates and it, and it goes deep and you see it and within them. Yeah. So uh, it, it's almost like you have to adopt some of their culture totally, so that you can introduce them to, to a different spiritual culture. Is there a, a certain thing that you did that allowed you and Rosie to be long-term missionaries for 25 years that uh, kept you from being burnt out? I went through depressing times, learning language, and you're in a lonely place. And my wife's doing homeschooling with the kids. And how do you train your kids within a culture that's not their own and not our own? And yet you have to kind of say, eventually our kids are going to come back out here. And if I don't, if I don't, you know, hold to my guns on some things, uh, I'm not talking literally about guns. <laughs> it's like if, if I don't hold to those uh, convictions, then what are my children going to grow up to be like? And so there is that side. Um, when I was depressed and discouraged, I had some conversations with God. Um, as a missionary, I, um, if I speak honestly with you and openly, just, uh, you know, I had a discussion and it might have even come to be a argument, <laughs> but it's one sided argument where he was very gracious with me. But I felt like, God, you don't know what you're doing. You have got me here and I am struggling and I am struggling like crazy to learn this language. The culture I loved, I, I could eat that up. Um, eating their foods or learning what that's like, I could eat it up, you know, <laughs> literally. But I just, I just found the language so difficult. And, and then, and then when I found that I was in that place, God reminded me through his word. And so again, for myself, I came back to God's word. That's, that's what kind of helped me through those times. I came to Ezekiel and in one of those occurrences, and in that time, Ezekiel, God's saying to Ezekiel, do you see this vast army of dry bones? Do you think it's possible for me to, to give life to these dry bones? 
And God was saying, Terry, do you think it's possible that it'll just take a bit longer, but I can give you this language? Yes, Lord. Thank you for that encouragement. As I'm studying that out, God again said, Terry, do you think that maybe I have you here for a reason that might not be about learning language and that it might take longer than even 16 years for you to learn? And are you okay with that? So God's word became so important to me. I had nowhere else to go. And, you know, for us nowadays, it's like you feel discouraged or depressed about something. Where do you go? And um, it's so easy to go to YouTube or to try to find something, right? And to, to get some, some fulfillment out of it. So anyway, for me, that's, that's how it was. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I, it's easier to turn to a distraction nowadays than to, yeah. to a life-giving source, right? Uh, yeah. It's nice that the Bible app is on my phone, but it's rarely do I get distracted from watching a YouTube video besides <laughs> going back to work or something. But yeah, I, yeah. But I get distracted from doing the things that actually give life and and reading scripture is definitely one of those things that brings life. This has been very encouraging. Uh, right on. It's encouraging to to hear about your willing testimony and and your willingness to go and to follow. And I, I don't know if everybody is called to go overseas. I'm I'm pretty sure not everyone is. I feel pretty called to what I'm doing and to pastoral work but i know that everyone is called to be obedient i know that we're all called to to follow and to listen and be willing to go and uh, and so that's it, true no matter where we are or where yeah. we end up yeah and it's and it's uh, difficult like you know are we willing to say yes i will follow you wherever